Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Lance Barisi, co-owner of Permanent Records, an independent record store in Los Angeles, the first in a two-part special about Record Store Day. Six years ago, a dedicated group of vinyl aficionados and independent record store owners got together and launched an event called Record Store Day, just about the time that corporate record stores were going bankrupt. Heavy metal juggernaut Metallica was one of the first bands to get on board, signing autographs and giving away t-shirts to 500 fans at a Bay Area record store for the event in 2008. By 2013, Record Store Day, celebrated annually on the third Saturday in April, has exploded into an international event celebrated at thousands of independent music retailers worldwide. Here in Los Angeles' Eagle Rock neighborhood, Permanent Records co-owners Lance Barisi and Liz Tooley run the sister store to their Chicago-based flagship used record store of the same name. Like many independent record stores, Permanent Records Record Store Day events will feature in-store performances, meet-and-greets with artists, and a place where music fans can hang out and talk about their favorite bands and buy exclusive releases. Artists ranging from neighborhood garage bands to industry heavyweights like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen issue special releases for the event every year. I spoke with Barisi about how Permanent Records will celebrate Record Store Day on April 20th, 2013, what the event has done for indie record stores, and how some hardcore vinyl devotees line up as many as four hours before the store opens on Record Store Day. I am sitting with Lance Barisi. We are in the back of Permanent Records here on Eagle Rock, in the Eagle Rock neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Lance is the owner of Permanent Records, which is a record store based here in Los Angeles. Also, they have a branch in Chicago. Welcome to Independence Day, Lance. Thank you very much. It's, very, it's good to have you, man. So this record store day, record store day has been going on now for, this will be the sixth year. Mm-hmm. And you, how, 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 much, how far back into history do you go with record? I mean, your store is older than record store day, correct? Yes. Yeah, we started in Chicago in 2006, and I think the first record store day was 2008 yeah. or something like Maybe 2007? I can't recall. Not too terribly much later. But as soon as we found out about it, we were on board right away and celebrated the first record store day and have big time every year since. Tell me, what what is record store day? Record store day is, a, well, it's become an international holiday for record stores and record lovers um alike and it's essentially a day where all the stores receive well they purchase first and then receive hundreds it's become hundreds of exclusive releases that are only available on that day Um, most of them are oversold and have to be allocated to the stores and people line up I would say, to sum it up, it's kind of like the Black Friday for record stores. Um, because Black Friday, the actual Black Friday, uh, doesn't exist for record stores anymore. Nobody cares to come to a record store on Black Friday. Everybody's going to big box chains to get a big uh, discount on an appliance or some sort of you know, whatever they're selling. And... No one comes to record stores on real Black Friday, and that's what Record Store Day is to independent record stores. It's the biggest day of sales in uh, for all record stores, as far as I know, of the year. And you're you're dealing with a situation here where I mean, people even finding a record store 
mm-hmm. would be a challenge in our modern retail environment. You know, once upon a time, you know, they were in the mall. Right. You know, where I grew up, there was Musicland and any number of these types of stores. And they've all, almost all of them, even Virgin Records is now gone. Right. So now it's a situation where, you know, record stores have specialized. That's true. And they've become something that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a heavy focus on vinyl. There's been a resurgence in vinyl records, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, actual vinyl discs that you put on a player that spin around, you drop a needle on it. Oh yeah. Uh, and you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about the resurgence of vinyl, how that's played into both your store and Record Store Day. Yeah, it's been huge. You know, without it, um, we couldn't have survived the last seven years of business. And it's actually made my life a lot more enjoyable because that's why Liz and I got into this business to begin with, because the store that we worked for before didn't want to branch out into carrying more vinyl and that's exactly what we were interested in doing personally and what we saw uh, as the future of independent record retail so you know with without the support of our former boss we decided to go off and start our own record store with our private vinyl collection and about you know something like 5,000 LPs and 5,000 CDs few hundred singles and we sold off all of our stuff just to get the first store going and here we are seven years later selling you know 95 percent vinyl versus five percent cds which is a huge flip-flop over seven years ago i think cds were actually the majority of our sales and vinyl was a slight minority and now it's flipped on its head yeah well vinyl's definitely become an, like almost a niche product where you know digital downloading has taken over the lion's share of all music distribution these days most people get their music online you know they and even if they do buy a cd they buy that online too right so you know vinyl has become this niche product you know for indie bands for you know but you go to even the big stores the big box music stores that are still around and you'll see you know major labels are reissuing albums classic albums and sometimes new albums on on vinyl yeah and even new releases by mainstream artists come out on vinyl you know if you see an artist like jay-z or beyonce or somebody on letterman or leno usually dave or jay is holding up the uh the vinyl lp version of the album instead of the tiny cd which was you know commonplace throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s too yeah there's a certain cachet that records have that CDs, you know, CD just seemed to be like the latest format, right. you know, growing up, you know, we had vinyl, we had 78s originally, right. then we had vinyl, then we had like eight tracks and cassettes, and then we had CDs, and then digital downloading, but vinyl, it never completely went away. No. You know, who was making vinyl during like the 90s, the dark <laughs> years? Uh, independent and underground artists for the most part. But then again, you know, uh, everybody was for the most part, everybody was still putting out records just in really limited runs to satiate the small audience that the that existed for the format at the time because everybody said vinyl is dead and it's come back or something. It's really never actually died. I guess in a commercial sense it died as a viable commercial format, but there's always been an audience of people who wanted to own all their music on vinyl or at least their favorite. And, um, you know, so Neil Young throughout the 90s has always had his records released on vinyl, even if it was only 500 or 1,000 copies or something. And now these days, that kind of stuff is some of the hardest to find because it's 
in high demand and it's also uh there's a very low supply of that sort of thing unlike mama's and papa's vinyl from the 70s which there's millions of copies of that stuff um maybe more people want it now than they did 10 or 15 years ago but there's still plenty to go around you know yeah, people's vinyl collections are, are, are very funny to me, and my own collection reflects this as well, yeah. where, I mean, I literally have vinyl left over from high school or before high school of records. Right. Like, I have Toto 4 <laughs> <laughs> on vinyl. Yeah. You know, I don't really play Rosanna very often, but it's a funny, nostalgic thing to have on vinyl. Sure. And then through the 90s, I have, you know, I had to go back when I got more into vinyl. I had to go back, and those are the hardest records to find because that was the heyday of CDs. Yeah, they certainly can be, for sure. And uh, so now my collection reflects, you know, reissues of that era you know and that's the funny thing you know there's a kitsch value to vinyl too where you can go to you know the salvation army mm -hmm. and they've got hundreds of records and you know, maybe they're beat up right. but you might find a gem in there you know people yeah. make careers i'm sure out of absolutely the, digging through those bins yeah guys like me and other you know resellers know where to go to dig up vinyl you know whether it be a thrift store or an estate sale or a garage sale flea market whatever somebody's private collection that you get a hot tip on whatever that's what it's all about that's my reason for living you know yeah and so the way i make a living actually absolutely so then you know in your in your business model mm -hmm. you know how much time is spent searching out like those old those uncovered gems or those undiscovered all, gems all my free time is spent finding that sort of stuff if i didn't have to be here running the shop you know uh, I would constantly be on the hunt for records because that's what I like doing personally anyway. So it's really, I'm in a, I'm very lucky to have what I like doing personally be exactly what I do to make a living. Yeah. So if I could be out there all day, every day, and if I thought it would be lucrative, that's exactly what I would be doing. Unfortunately, uh, as anybody who does this for a living will tell you, going to the same thrift stores in your area every single day is not going to pan out very well you know what i mean you're going to get lucky now and again but the amount of time and gas money and all that stuff you put into it is going to be outweighed by all the times you um you miss you know yeah the hits are definitely fewer and farther between than yeah. the misses and everybody you know i've seen just over the last 10 or 15 years the quality of the kind of stuff you can find at a thrift store or you know in a dollar bin at a record store or at a flea market it's it's gone down well it's as vinyl becomes more popular more right. people are picking through it there's a lot more competition both Absolutely. people who are collecting it for their own use and people like yourself who are going to resell it yeah. but you know what it is though i mean uh the best job in the world is getting paid to do what you would do anyway right yeah so yeah. i'm uh i'm 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 almost, I'm almost envious of, of your situation. You kind of made, it seems like you've made a dream a reality. Yeah, I feel that way most times, you know. When I talk to other people who make uh, six figures every year, it kind of makes me wonder what I'm doing with my life. But then at the end of the day, I feel very good about what I do for myself. And it's a labor of love, so it works out okay. Yeah, yeah. So tell me what... You know, you've got permanent records here in Eagle Rock neighborhood, Los Angeles, Eagle Rock neighborhood, north side of L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of tucked into this really kind of cool strip along Colorado. There's some really great restaurants through here. There's a Trader Joe's kind of across the street. So you're in a good location, but you also have this store in Chicago. Mm -hmm. What made you decide, you know, I, when I think of Chicago and vinyl, I think of High Fidelity, right. which is a book that I had read before it came out. And I thought it was really an interesting artistic choice that John Cusack chose to have it adapted 
for Chicago. Right. You know, did you feel like that movie kind of caught that feel of what Chicago was like at that time um, in terms of owning a record store? I think it's a very, uh, it's blown out of proportion, it's exaggerated, but there's a little bit of truth to it. Um, that movie came out before Liz and I started Permanent, but we've seen it many times, of course, you know. It's one of the few movies that actually focuses on record store business and the yeah. lifestyle, which, you know, I love watching stuff like that anyway, no matter yeah. what it is. I don't like Empire Records, but I like it more than another movie like that that's not set in a record store. You yeah. know what I mean? There's a there's a famous scene in uh, in High Fidelity when John Cusack as the owner of his record store in Chicago, which is coincidentally right across the street from where my favorite taco joint used to be in Chicago that closed down, sadly. Oh, no. El Chino Tacos Incorporated. Uh, the 4 a.m. taco joint of all bands in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, he, he goes to his, his uh, co-worker and he says, you know, I will now sell five copies of the Beta Bands, <laughs> three EPs. You know, have you ever had moments like that where, you, you, you know, you saw people in the store and said, you know, if I put this record on, <laughs> they will buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think that kind of thing happens so much anymore because there's such a it's such a rare occasion to have so many people in the store at any given time that you can put on a CD, you know, much less a record that all of those people are going to find suits their taste, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I we've done it millions of times over the last uh, seven years where you see somebody who you know or somebody whose taste you know well and you put on a new release that you're digging and you think they might like and then they come up and they're like who is this you know that's that's pretty typical for yeah. sure to have it be five people that's an exaggeration i think for sure yeah. uh but it's i'm almost, sure it used to work you know it's almost profiling it almost is yeah but to me it's more like customer service uh in the way we do it because i'm looking at somebody whose taste i know and not necessarily trying to push something on them I'm just playing it so they can hear it and decide for themselves whether they like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but there are definitely records that you can, you know, you put it on, you know, you put on something like Moondog or something obscure that is immediately likable uh, for a lot of people that they're not familiar with and they just want to know what it is. They may not pull the trigger and buy it right then because people nowadays want to do a little more research and hear the whole record before they decide to pull the trigger on it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's profiling in the sense that they do it in high fidelity uh, because he's kind of those guys are just super grumpy. And, you know, I mean, the whole movie is about how, like, terrible those guys are, you know, both as uh, records shop employees and just people in general. And, you know, it's working out for them, which nowadays that kind of thing doesn't work out so well. You can't just you can't do that and pull it off unless you're exceptionally great at curating the stock in the store and that was going to be my next question is when you own a record store it's not like owning a corporate record store where there's a corporate buyer you know and they send you x number of copies of this record and that record and if you run out of this record or that record you know you can order more right. you know there's a little there's a little bit of special order stuff mixed in there mm -hmm. um you know it's almost clerking the sale mm -hmm. curating is exactly the right word both right. for a record collection and a record store owner tell me about you know how do you curate your collection for sale in a record store like this yeah well the way we started doing it you know back in 2006 it was more like the former way you mentioned you know you're like 
you see what's hot on Pitchfork or whatever, and you know that like five or ten people are going to come in and buy that thing on CD or whatever um, in 2006. That's changed drastically now. You know, people don't want to buy everything. They ha- they know they have other you know ways of getting the music to decide whether they want to own it you know a physical copy of it so now what it evolved into was we gave up on trusting review sites and and blogs and stuff to tell us what the general public was going to come in and buy because the general public stopped coming in altogether and we started buying things that we liked personally so that when people came into the store we could play it for them and stand behind it so you're like not stocking a bunch of stuff that you just that will sell itself you're stocking the stuff that you know that you can sell to your customers so it went to that and then now with the resurgence the huge resurgence in used vinyl now we're stocking things on uh, as used i'm seeking out used copies of records classics that i'm not necessarily a huge fan of but that i know that there's a demand for so it's a combination of all those things together that are what the permanent stock is the new stuff for the most part is new releases that we stand behind that we're personally all you know or at least somebody here is really into and then the with the rare exception of something you have to have in stock just because you know somebody's going to like it or want come in asking about it and then the used stuff it would be that if I could get my hands on exclusively that kind of stuff with regularity, but you got to just take what you can get and be selective about it. You can't just buy everything uh, because people don't want everything, you know? Not everybody wants Joni Mitchell records these days, but, you know, you got to know at our store anyway, maybe elsewhere Joni Mitchell sells in spades, but here it's more like I curate it based on what I know. The people are coming in here asking for regularly and that changes quite a bit over time you got to really listen to your customers and when you're out of something you make sure you have a few copies for the next time that person comes in and the person that has similar taste to them comes in so Fleetwood Mac rumors is something we're constantly trying to keep in stock used and uh, that's not necessarily our cup of tea as permanent but I know that there's an audience for that sort of thing now, and it's in kind of high demand for a really common record, you know. Um, and then, yeah, that stuff evolves over time. I used to be able to sell uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra records pretty regularly uh, with kind of, I think that had a lot to do with the Mars Volta being pretty popular, and they were kind of name-dropping a lot of, like, prog bands and, like, jazz fusion bands and stuff. And now nobody seems to care much about that, but Kate Bush records are selling better now than they did five years ago, I think. So it changes over time, and you really got to keep an eye on it and you know, not overbuy something that's not selling so well anymore and make sure you're getting as many of something you can that people want. Yeah, there's definitely... Uh, the parallel can be drawn to the curating aspect of what you're doing, the curator aspect, to almost like the lost art of being a disc jockey, and I mean a radio disc jockey. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, they were like the king makers. They were the ones who it was their job to like it was their music taste that we as listeners trusted, right? You know, and a parallel can be drawn that to you as a record store owner. Like people would come to you to say, okay, well, you know, 
you you're a professional at this mm-hmm. you know we trust your taste to tell us what's good and you know the the corporatization of music the increasing corporate corporatization of music has kind of taken out that human element so it's nice to see you know an event like record store day you know bringing that back to the people like a grassroots thing like people want to find good music good music is still being made right. you know it's nice to have a curator it's nice to have a place to go totally and we are we are curators every other day of the year um record store day is the rare occasion where we are curators but we'll take bring in stuff that we wouldn't otherwise carry because we know the limited nature of it and we know there's going to be people in the store that day that will never have never been here before and will never come back because they only want that dave matthews band thing that they know there's only 3500 copies of or whatever you know so we don't carry dave matthews band in this store particularly typically but because I know somebody's going to stand out in front of the store for four hours before we open waiting for that particular piece, like two people did last year for the Fish record that was super limited, we bring that in if we can. And then the day after Record Store Day, we get right back into permanent mode where that's exactly what we're trying to do is carry the things that people already come here will want that we know that they're after and trying to carry the things that are similar or that we're getting into that we think that they might also get into. And it's worked out really well for us. It makes our job a lot more fun. It makes it easy. There's no pressure. You're not like gambling so much. You know that if you bring in 15 copies of a particular record that you're going to have at least 15 people, maybe more, that are going to see that you dug it and want to hear it for themselves and most times it works out to where they really dig it and we get a lot of really great feedback because of that too and that's why people come back here i'm sure that's how it works out in a lot of other stores for slightly different you know style of music or whatever but we deal in a pretty wide variety of things too so it's it's a very subtle thing but it is kind of uh it's based a lot in taste for sure My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. I am sitting in the back of Permanent Records in Los Angeles' Eagle Rock neighborhood. I am talking to Lance Barisi. He is the owner and proprietor of this establishment, also its sister store in Chicago, along with his partner, Liz Tooley. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about specifically what you are going to do for Record Store Day here at Permanent Records. Well, historically, we had a midnight sale, but that's something that the Record Store Day people don't allow anymore due to complaints from uh other stores and customers which i don't really understand it doesn't make any sense to me but we have to abide by the rules you know and we have to uh in order to get the record store day exclusives we have to sign the pledge where they outline those rules so this year we're opening at the very earliest possible moment they will allow us to which is 8 a.m eastern time which is 5 a.m pacific standard time so we'll be the first uh, one of the first if not the first store open on record store day selling the exclusive releases and then uh at starting at noon we'll have a full day of live in-store performances by uh nine bands maybe more uh headliners being the urinals uh another kind of obscure la punk band called the scabs will be playing and then some more contemporary bands like the zigzags mercs Hot MT, Wounded Lion, Rollin' Hunt, Cab 20, and uh, another band from San Francisco, I think. 
No, I think cab 20's from up there and spaceships are from down here. But anyway, cab 20 and spaceships. Uh, they'll be playing here all day. And it'll be, you know, a really festive kind of party atmosphere. We'll be hanging out, talking music, selling records, and playing records and listening to live music. It'll be great. Uh, it's It sounds really fantastic. So do you anticipate there will be people lined up before 5 a.m. to get in and get these records? It's hard to say because I've never done it at 5 a.m. before. I personally don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. I'd rather, you know, be here until 2 a.m. the night before and get up and open at our normal time. But uh, historically, there's a line that starts uh, about four hours before we open at midnight. So and with a with a 5 a.m. opening, you're probably looking at a crowd who could go for straight from the bar to standing in line in front of your store on Colorado. That happened at the midnight sale, too. There's a lot of alcohol on people's breath that are coming in. They're more exuberant than they normally are. Uh, in the middle of the day on a Wednesday or whatever, but that's what makes Record Store Day great. You know, it's people are coming in from all over town and in all sorts of different states to celebrate Record Store Day. And Can't the, miss it. And the things they're lining up to get, these are special releases from artists that are in conjunction with Record Store Day. Like as this started, you know, just about six years ago, mm -hmm. um, artists got on board very, very quickly. There's always an ambassador every year which is a well-known musician I was the first one metallica i believe they're kind of the unofficial ambassador for that the first right. year yeah. and then i think iggy ozzy osbourne was involved in this iggy pop has been involved in this and this year's ambassador is uh, jack white right from the white stripes and the rack and tours uh wh what is the role exactly of an ambassador why have an ambassador for record store day uh you'd have to ask the record store day people about that but i think it's a lot of it just has to do with Putting a, a celebrity face, uh, you know, on the record store day side and having them endorse it so that people who may not be familiar with record store day will be like, "Ooh, I love the white stripes like Jack White's endorsing this thing. I need to know more about it. Um, but I'm sure from Jack White's point of view, you know, he's just proud to be a part of it because he's a record guy um, and has been for a long time. He's got a label and a store of his own. He's probably the ideal uh candidate for an ambassador um as far as i'm concerned because although i love iggy pop he really doesn't have a store you know i mean he may collect records but he's not known as like a huge collector or anything so it's kind of odd that they just picked him randomly but he he's a cool guy i mean everybody loves the stooges right so why not have somebody, a spokesperson, if you will, you know, that can yeah. kind of spread the word. And he has the perception of being kind of a big or a, a big scale independent artist, sort of, you know, right. he maybe has been on or off major labels, but he's kind of got that indie feel to him so that it makes sense. Totally. Um, but now how many records, you know, for something like Record Store Day with all these special releases, like how much stock, like how, how many albums do you think ballpark that you would get in for this? How many releases? Because there's hundreds and hundreds. Like you, yeah. how many do you pick? Uh, we try to pick the ones that we won't be embarrassed to be stuck with if they don't sell on Record Store Day, which I'd say is probably somewhere in the realm of 30, 25 or 30% of the releases. Um, there's 500 yeah. and, or more, you know. Uh, the official list has something like 500, and there's labels like ours that put out a release on Record Store Day that may or may not have actually been included in that list, and we're carrying some of that kind of stuff too. 
uh, and we order way more than just one copy of each of those. So if you say we we ordered 150 titles on the low end, some of them I tried to get 100 copies of. You know what I mean? I want 100 copies of the Ty Siegel and the OCs record if I can get them because I know that all the people who normally shop with Permanent want those anyway and then there's going to be all these other people who don't come here regularly that will want them and i'll be happy to have those records left over after record store day anyway because we carry you know dozens of copies of those new releases not on record store day so uh you know our hopes is that we get thousands of records but like i said they're all limited and then you get every store gets allocated a certain quantity based on how many they ordered and then you end up with whatever you get. It's always a mystery. You never know what you're going to get. You might get zeroed on something you ordered 50 copies of and get the one copy that you ordered one of of something else. You know, Many bands are doing this kind of thing with vinyl, even not on Record Store Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know last week the band Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, they're based here in Southern California. Yeah. Kind of a 70s vibe yeah. kind of band, like Laurel Canyon, Topanga Canyon kind of sound. Cool. Um, they did a thing where they released... You know, their newer album is coming out next Tuesday before Record Store Day, but they released, I don't know, it was maybe 500 copies nationwide of like they were all signed. Yeah. And every record, you know, how I don't need different record stores. Amoeba, I think, got about five of them. I checked in with them last week. So, I mean, it's something that bands are really getting involved with. And it's yeah. Record Store Day is a way for them to, I mean, there's a lot of artists, big name artists, release things. You know, Springsteen yeah. is involved in this, you know, all the way down to, you know, you've got a, a little record label yourself, the Permanent Records record label right. that you're releasing albums, you know, albums, artists on. Tell me what made you decide to, you know, you have a record store. What made you decide to have a label as well? Well, that all started before Record Store Day ever started. Um, While we were in Chicago, an old friends band called Warhammer 48K was kind of shopping their uh, new record out that had already come out on CD. And we were huge fans of theirs. And, you know, it really wasn't a business decision at all. It was just that we wanted to see, you know, Liz and I are huge vinyl fanatics and everything that we love, we want to own on vinyl, you know. And it was a bummer to us that we couldn't, play the new Warhammer record on our turntable. We just had to listen to it in the CD player. Um, and yeah, we just kind of pestered them until they finally you know, decided that we were the label for them and we did their record as Perm 001. And then Warhammer, it's a long story, but Warhammer broke up and Cave formed out of those ashes. We put out Cave's first LP uh, as our second release and Cave's gone on to release records on important and they're now on drag city and then that brings us kind of 30-ish releases later and we're working with cooper crane from cave and his new project called bitch and bajas uh we released the christened uh ep a few months back and um yeah it's kind of come full circle over the course of five years and 30 some odd releases well why don't we give just a little listen to something that you're releasing you know on the permanent records label this is a band called bitchin bajas they're a band out of chicago uh what's so you got involved with them how exactly uh cooper's just an old friend of ours he was in uh cooper from bitchin bajas is an old friend of ours he was uh in warhammer 48k and he was in the band cave as well and this is just another project that he has going right now. Um, and this is their third LP. All right. Well, excellent. Let's give a listen to this. This is the band Bitchin' Bajas here on Independence Day with the track Croizoned. Croizoned. <laughs> 
Thank <laughs> you. 
My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. So very happy to have you here. I bring you great musicians and music business people from Los Angeles and far, far beyond. Tonight I'm very happy to be sitting with Lance Barisi. We are in the back of his store, which is Permanent Records, the Eagle Rock uh, neighborhood here in the north side of Chicago. He's owned this store. You've been in this location for now... It'll be two years Two years coming up. Two years in June, so happy anniversary almost. Thank you. Uh, but then before that, they had a record store in Chicago under the same name. Still there, actually, right. sister store uh, for a while there, and you can look up them. It's PermanentRecordsLA.com or the Chicago store, PermanentRecordsChicago.com. And you do share some stock between these two stores, correct? Absolutely. I mean, other than your, the stuff you're putting out on your label. Totally. Yeah, there's certain things that get sold directly to the Chicago store that will have a copy or two sent out here so that we all have similar new stock. And then when I have overstock of used things, I'll kind of send it their way. And, yeah, we share things um, every week. There's boxes going back and forth. Tell me how, how, how is the not the music scene necessarily, but how is it different, like, running the record store in Chicago versus L.A.? Like, what are people into there versus here? Like, what are the scenes like? You know, it's... You would think it would be quite a bit different just because of, you know, geographic things. And it's really not, you know, people in America, at least, and the people that like the same sort of things that we like are really after the same things, you know, things you can't just get anywhere else, you know, whether they be new or used and, you know, rarities and, you know, punk records are rare everywhere. Kraut rock records are rare no matter where you go, you know, so the kind of stuff that people really want is not that different from one place to another. And the internet has kind of leveled that playing field as well. Definitely. Because once upon a time, you know, scenes were less, like, uh, or they were more homogenized, it seemed like. You know, there were punk bands from certain cities and country bands from certain cities, and they all existed all over the place. Everybody's making all kinds of music in all kinds of different locations for all kinds of different reasons. Right. Um, But when the internet became what it is, it kind of diffused everything out kind of evenly whereas if you're selling a bunch of records in omaha nebraska you're selling them to the same audience as the people who are selling them in greenwich village in new york city because the same people are looking to buy those records and people who are collecting those things looking for more rare things looking for more interesting things Mm -hmm. are pulling from the same pool right you know so that kind of in some ways i guess it makes your job easier because they're going to want the same things in both places here yeah, my job as a record store owner in two different cities is easier, definitely, yeah. than it could have been uh, pre-internet, for sure. Yeah, let's back up just a little bit, talk a little bit more. I want to talk a little bit more about you know, this record store day, this event that's happening on the 20th. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big thing, an international event. Started out kind of small, became national, now international. All the big record, all the big indies are involved, Amoeba, yeah. uh, Waterloo, mm-hmm. uh, the big record stores in other cities as well. Um, but... What uh, what am I getting at here? Um, you know, all these stores, all these record stores, independent record stores, whether they're very small up to the you know the bigger size indies. Uh, how do you think, or how does the internet affect what you do? I'm not talking about selling your stuff on the internet, your records or mm-hmm. records on your label, right. but I mean you're in competition with them at the same time that they're also promoting your stuff for free, sort of. Right. How how does like. How does that relationship work, or how do you perceive them with the internet in general? Um, you know, the internet for for a lot of stores killed things, made it more difficult to sell stuff. For stores like ours, it it doesn't necessarily make it easier to sell things, but it makes it easier for me to hear things before I buy them and know whether they will sell well in our store, and it makes it easier for me to 
put them on display for people who aren't in our store physically to buy them. So now with SoundCloud and YouTube and, you know, whatever, Bandcamp and all these sites that allow individual artists and labels to stream their stuff online, everybody can hear everything before they buy it. You don't really have to take any risks anymore, and very few people do. So as a store that really tries hard to curate um, a particular not genre, but a particular grouping of genres of music on vinyl, it makes, the internet actually makes my job a lot easier because I can be like, not only just write a paragraph or two about what this record sounds like, but I can actually insert a clip in our newsletter or on our website that allows the customer to, to hear what we're talking about and see that we're not just BSing them in the description. And it gives them a better idea of what they're getting into and it also proves to them that we know what we're talking about so i don't know if that answers your question at all but that's where the internet has really helped businesses like ours it helps us get in touch with the right people who we may not have ever been able to get in touch with and may have made more compromises as far as the kind of stuff that we carry and it's allowed us to be the record store that we wanted to be Whereas if we didn't have access to all that information, selling obscure releases by bands from the middle of nowhere or reissues by, you know, obscure Japanese psych bands or something probably would have been a lot more difficult. Um, and people, and it, I think it makes record collecting and buying records a lot more enjoyable because you don't feel burned as much, if ever. You're not buying stuff because you think the jacket looks cool and you hope the music's rad you're buying it because you've heard it and you know you like it and you want to own it on vinyl you know yeah yeah what has it been like to stand back and watch the bigger stores fall away from actually even having brick and mortar music stores where people could buy a record cd tape whatever you know whatever format what's it been like to stand by and watch that it's been scary. You know, it was scary at first, especially. And at first, but it also helped us get a lot of publicity in 2006 and 2007 when we were first starting our store because we were opening as the tower in Chicago was shutting down and none of the local media outlets understood that. And they thought we were just idiots. So they wanted to come talk to the local idiot about his stupid little record store idea, you know. And all along, we just wanted to give it a shot, you know. We wanted to try working for ourselves and doing something that we loved before we were too old to care, you know, or before we got too settled into something else. And um, so it it really hasn't affected us all that directly. Like, the customers who shopped at Tower didn't just come to stores like ours. They just went online for the most part, you know. And the customers who bought CDs didn't automatically just start buying vinyl. A lot of them just deal with digital downloads, whether they pay for them or not. We're dealing with a lot of the people who we probably would have been dealing with while Tower was open and pre-internet because they're the kinds of people who have been collecting records for decades or the younger group of people, not even necessarily younger people, but the group of people who have gotten into vinyl for the first time or are coming back to it after, you know, selling off their collection 20 or 30 years ago. So, uh, you know, it seems like it would have a, 
a huge effect on us, but it doesn't. Just in the same way that like what a major record label does and what iTunes does with what they have for sale really doesn't make a difference to us one way or another. You know, it's like we're operating on a very different plane. <laughs> yeah. So, and in, in in terms of Record Store Day, how have you watched it grow? Uh, it's just kind of happened before our eyes. You know the amount of releases and order forms I have to fill out every year has grown exponentially. And the, yeah, it's just the crowd that's out in front of the door is, you know, the line's gotten longer and, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And the amount of media coverage that it gets for independent record stores and labels and artists in general is fantastic. That's my favorite part about Record Store Day is that it reminds mainstream America, well, and the world, that records aren't dead, turntables aren't dead, and that vinyl record stores aren't dead. You don't have to buy everything that you might want online. And you have some place maybe in your neighborhood or just outside of it that you can go, you know, after work or on a Saturday afternoon and browse and listen to records and talk to the people behind the counter who have really just invested their lives in this and have a lot of good information to offer you and can play things for you. And it, you know, reminding people that these resources exist is really important and that's exactly the purpose record store day serves i think and there's one thing i really like about your store permanent records uh and i don't know if it's attributed to your midwestern roots <laughs> or what exactly but you know so many record stores uh it's almost an environment that's like too too cool for school mm -hmm. you know and you go in there and it's people who have a very well you know they really understand music and the indie world and the whole scope of the music world and they tend to look down upon people's music tastes right you know so i mean i commend you first of all for having you know you obviously know this world as well yep. and you know your business but you know it's a very friendly place to come in and browse for music and learn about new music and maybe pick up that copy of rumors if that's what you're here to get right you know and yeah, that's fine by us. You know, if you're buying a record, awesome. I don't care which yeah. record you're buying. If yeah. you're buying or taking for free, if we have a free box out and you want to take a free record, that's cool. You yeah. know, that makes you like uh, cooler than 99% of the general population in my eyes. And I would never give you a hard time about that. Yeah, know? yeah. And moreover, to your point from before, it's not just that not only are record stores not dead. Not only are you know is vinyl not dead, turntables are, isn't dead. The music business itself is not dead. Music right. is still being made. Music mm -hmm. is still being consumed. Yeah. You know, it's not as profitable as it once was. You know, but you know, just uh, I think it was February of this year, music business posted its first profit, albeit small. Yeah. In 13 years. Yeah. You know, that's a significant. I mean, hopefully, that's going to be a big turning point. Hopefully. Because the way everything's been turned on its ear and nobody knows how to make this business profitable anymore once the product has been devalued to the point where it's free. Right. Yeah. You know, if everything is free, somebody's got to make money doing it or it won't happen. Right. Um, but people are finding ways. Yeah, absolutely. The beauty of music in general is that people will always make it because they want to make it and they, they, it's not something that everyone does to make money. There's plenty of people willing to break even or even lose money on the uh, proposition of being in a band and putting out a record. And as long as that's the case, which I think it always will be, there will always be people who are willing to pay for a vinyl record, no matter what the price becomes, 
because they can't just create them that themselves in their bedroom. You can rip a CD, uh, and obviously MP3s are just everywhere. <laughs> so um, that sort of thing may or may not ever always be around, you know? Who knows what the future of digital music is? And it really doesn't make a big difference to me as far as the store is concerned, because I know that there's always going to be people like me that are out there creating music and will want to have it pressed to vinyl and then they're going to need somebody to help them sell it to other people because they don't have a store themselves and people like people that buy records like to go in stores it's not fun to go buy something on the internet it's easy and you know it's very convenient to have it show up at your doorstep a week later or whatever but it's not fun it's not a fun process and that's what we're trying to do here is make being in a record store fun whether it be just by um you know being nice to people providing good customer service which i can't believe that there was ever a day when stores like high fidelity which that's not that far from the truth in some stores cases they they could ever make any money because they were only allowed to do that because there literally was no place else for somebody to go to buy a used copy of Blonde on Blonde or whatever. But nowadays, everybody can go to the internet. And I find it easier to be nice to people, to get back to that earlier question, than it is to put on a front and act like I'm cooler than them. Even though, no, I mean, even if I, that's, it's a moot point as to whether I'm cooler than somebody else or not, or know more about something than somebody else knows about. There's no reason for me to act like any differently because of that fact. And that's kind of what we've always done, Liz and I, and that's the you know point we've always, we've always tried to instill that in all of the people that have ever worked for us. It's unacceptable to treat somebody like they're not as good as you because they don't know something that you know. That's just crazy. Yeah, and it's funny because that's kind of part of music taste in general. Like, it's already built in. You right. don't need to fan that flame at all. Right. You know, there's always the cool kid, you know, who's looking for the newest band from the smallest town, and the <laughs> internet has just accelerated that. Totally. You know, it's like, I, I've got this joke, you know, it's like, oh, I love uh, so-and-so's, you know, I only like their old stuff because right. they totally sold out. And it's kind of a joke, and you'll say that about the band you know, what's that? Uh, oh, Todd Snyder's got that song about the band that hasn't even formed yet, and they've <laughs> yeah. already been signed and broken up, and their whole shtick was not even playing. That right. they don't play music, and that's that's kind of like built into music to begin with. Totally. Uh, so there's always there's kind of that coolness factor built in. So being human about it, and being kind about it, and being respectful about it is yeah. a breath of fresh air in this business, man. I find it easier to than the uh, the opposite, and also I find that when people are that way. It's usually because they're insecure and they don't want to lead on or admit that they don't know something that a customer or somebody on the other side of the counter knows because they're supposed to be the authority. Yeah. But the information is so widely available nowadays, I just expect people to come in yeah. asking me about something I may not know about yet. And I'm stoked when I do know, you know, yeah. and I know that I know other stuff that they don't know, but there's no reason to have a battle about it. Let's share information and be egalitarian about it and turn each other on to cool things. Yeah. 
You know what? Uh, you know what Randall from Clerk said. There's nothing that makes people feel better about themselves more than pointing out the inadequ- inadequacies of others. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's play a little bit more music here. This is another band that's on the Permanent Records label. This band is out of Santiago, Chile. Tell me a little bit about about this band. Watch out. Yeah, Watch Out is one of the many um, really cool bands coming out of Santiago. It's a very small scene. Um, all these bands are dealing with a label called Blow Your Mind Records, BIM for short, uh, run by our friend Ness. And Watch Out is just one of the few that hasn't actually had an official vinyl release yet. And they're an incredible band that kind of melds Krautrock and Tropicalia with a bit of a garage sensibility. And it's very psychedelic and very groovy and mellow. And uh, this is the first time this record flashbacker will be available on vinyl. Very nice. And this was aimed for Record Store Day, but due to circumstances beyond people's control, it's going to come out just after Record Store Day. Yeah, Record Store Day has the pressing plants all backed up every single year this happens. You know, you submit a release and you cross your fingers, and this time it didn't work out, but it'll be out in May. It's like getting a hotel room in Austin in March. (laughs) Exactly. Just forget it, man. South by Southwest has got it all. might slip in there maybe if there's a last-minute cancellation. Yeah, who knows? But this is the band uh, Watch Out. They're from Santiago, Chile. Uh, The song, Chile, I should say. Uh, the song is Wish You Know here on Independence Day.
That is the band Watch Out. Uh, their track is Wish You Know. They are from Chile, South America. Uh, you are listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. So happy to have you. You can check us out on the internet at Lance, or excuse me, at indepthday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. And please follow us on the Twitter. We are at Indepth Day. We've got some, I tend to forward all kinds of music stuff, and I'll certainly put permanent records on that list of things that I'm keeping track of. And as far as permanent records go, I am sitting here in the back of their store, and like every other back of a record store there's everything back here you can possibly imagine uh it's a kind of a fun environment i had a record store job once upon a time and i'm here with the owner one of the co-owners of of permanent records that's lance barisi his partner is liz tooley and uh, we're talking about record store day which is coming up very very shortly here i want to talk about like the craft of music because i think there's something in our society now that you know as everything has become digitized and it's kind of lost its soul a little bit people are longing for something real and something tangible and i think i think that i think this like vinyl resurgence is tied to that has that been your experience as well uh yeah i think so you know i never really pondered that before but yeah i think but i think that's kind of always been the case especially for for me you know i've always wanted it to be a very personal um tangible thing i just have always felt that way when napster came around i dabbled in it and i got virtually nothing out of it because the the uh enjoyment that i've always gotten out of music has been to be involved with the the scene you know go to shows and buy records and actually take a record and put it on a turntable and like interact with it and um yeah the craft you know uh, in addition to just the manufacturing of vinyl records being an amazing process, uh, the packaging is so nice too. You know, you don't really get that with CDs or any other format for that matter. You know, some vinyl records come with some of the most elaborate packaging you can imagine. Uh, everything from pizza boxes to, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> Merzbau even actually, I don't know if it was a vinyl record, but he released his music in an automobile. Like, he put a hard drive, I think it was, into a car, and that was the only way that you could buy that release that he recorded. So it's like, and everything in between, you know? Sometimes it's handmade, one-of-a-kind art pieces that are the jacket, and it just really kind of sets it apart from just about anything else and adds a very, like, handmade artistic element to records that you just can't get anywhere else and sometimes it's far less expensive than that piece of art that comes with the record would be on its own if the artist were to say have a show or an auction yeah. for those pieces you know? yeah and some bands you know some bands took that i think with cds about as far as they could go pearl jam is an example i can think of because they had money and they were interested in the art artistry of the package like it's i always felt like you know uh, vinyl albums were the original multimedia package because right. you got art and you got a poster and you got little cards or whatever that came with or a sticker came with the record yeah. you know and Pearl Jam did a pretty good job I mean they had some of their records were huge like booklets and like little photos and things like that but it wasn't very satisfying because it was so small right the CD format you know it's five inches if you're lucky right. you know with a vinyl record you can put a great photo on there and really get lost in that world yeah and even in the case of Pearl Jam if you take Vitology and that textured sleeve and the booklet that's inside the CD version you blow that up to 12 by 12 and then you just throw your CD away it's pointless you know yeah 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 very nice I mean I, I I'm so happy about the resurgence of vinyl it gives me it's uh it's something that I I had lost 
mm-hmm. in music. You know, I got to the point where even my CD player wasn't even out on my stereo for a while because I was listening to everything on my iPod. And it's extremely convenient, man. I'll never forget the first time I figured out what was so cool about having an iPod. I was touring with a band. I was flying in the upper deck of a 747 from Japan to Australia on a tour. Yeah. And... I had just joined the tour and I still had my CD Walkman and I had a little case logic thing with like 60 CDs or whatever. You never know what you're going to want to listen to when you're gone for on a tour for three weeks or three months. And the guy next to me had been with the band for a while and they must've had a hookup with Apple early on because he pulls out of his pocket, this little thing about the size of a pack of cigarettes. There's no iPhone now, by the way. Right. And he, with his thumb, he's like flipping the little wheel around and he puts the thing back in his pocket. And I was just blown away. Like right at that moment I decided, okay, the CD thing is dead. Right. You know, I mean, as soon as I get back from this tour, the first thing I'm going to do is buy myself an iPod. Yeah. And I went as far as I could go with it. Yeah. You know, it was fun. It's still nice for tours or uh, you're out on the road or you're on a yeah. road trip or whatever. You know, obviously you're not taking vinyl. Can't take records. You can't in the take car. records in the car. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how cassettes became such a big portable medium. Totally. Or media. Uh, so, but, and, and that leads me to my point, which is that, you know, vinyl records to me, it's an experience. Right. You sit at home, you physically flip through your library of stuff. You pull it out and it's a glorious jacket. And if it's a gatefold, you open it up and it's this big artwork package. And if it's 180G, it's heavy. Yeah. It's tactile on the hands. You, right. you, you flip up the lid on your on your turntable if it has one. You drop it on the spindle. You have to physically line it up yeah. you know, so you don't screw it up and you don't want to touch it. And you got to <laughs> shoo your cat or dog away so they don't get on it. You know, <laughs> totally. And then you want to line up your groove. And it's, you know, tell me about like your romance for mm-hmm. vinyl. Yeah, for me, you know, I really I do enjoy the the process of pulling a record out and and taking it out of the jacket and holding the 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 jacket and reading the liner notes and stuff like that too. It's it's an incredible experience. It's second to none. But the majority of the the draw for me as far as vinyl is the thrill of the hunt and getting out there in record stores and elsewhere just digging through records that you've never seen before that particular collection of records and you never know what you're going to find in there. Uh, Be it something that you've been on the hunt for for years or something that you've never seen before or heard before and may not even exist on the internet because somebody's not actually taken the time to rip that vinyl and put it up on a blog or something like that. So, and to me, that's the most amazing experience is being able to hear something that only you and a handful of other people in the world have ever heard because you have to have a physical copy of it to be able to listen to it. And sometimes it's really rewarding because the record's amazing and you can't believe that it even existed, you know, at the time it was released and in the way that it exists. And then other times it's, you know, to be fair, disappointing. The record is something you've never seen before, but it's nothing you really want either. But just the digging through and seeing things that you know and love and seeing what's in there and what's not, and then ultimately finding something that you want whether you knew you wanted it or not is the best part for me. And you just can't get that with MP3s, you know, not, not the same way. And the best, best case scenario is finding that thing that you never knew you wanted and no blog on the internet can even tell you that you might want, but you happen to stumble across it in real life. You found a physical copy of it. And 
nothing I, that's what life is to me that's what it's all about that's what makes it worth living for is experiences like that not going to your favorite restaurant because you know it's your favorite and you know exactly what you're going to get that's great but going somewhere you've never been before and happening upon something that you never knew existed and having it become your favorite thing and that's what collecting vinyl is for me and what makes it so exciting I had a moment like that recently. Uh, uh, bought a new piece of furniture out in the valley, and we were driving back across the San Fernando Valley, like taking back streets for whatever reason. And we drove past Atomic Records yeah. out there. I think it's on Magnolia. Yep. And I was like, "Oh, that's where Atomic is. Let's just let's just swing in and see what they have." And there was a couple. There's always a list in my head of like, "I'm looking for X, Y, and Z records." Yeah. You know, not new stuff. It's old. It's old stuff, and right. it's it's not even stuff that was particularly popular. Because if you want to find a copy of Born to Run. They're everywhere, right. easy to find. You want a copy of Dark Side of the Moon? Every record store in America has a copy of Dark Side of the Moon. Or if That's they, changing. If they, these if they days. didn't, but, but it's changing a little bit. <laughs> but they're, but you know, you go to Amoeba has yeah. a couple copies. At least and, a reissue, if not. An at least original. a reissue, yeah, that's fine. But they I mean, or even even a resale shop, a Salvation Army shop, it's you know, pretty good chance you're going to find a copy of Dark Side of the Moon there. If you're you know? lucky, that's you, changed so yeah, much. It's changed. It's that's changed. one. Of, sorry to interrupt you, but that is one of the things that's changed so drastically yeah. in the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, and it's changed a little bit, but it's, I guess I'm saying the things that are ubiquitous yeah. are kind of ubiquitous. Sure. Uh, but I was looking for a Camper Van Beethoven record, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, it was one of my favorite records. Their last major uh, major label record was Key Lime Pie, yeah. and, you know, I've had it on CD forever, and it's it's one of my favorite records. So it was just kind of on my list. Since so we rolled by Atomic Records and rolled in, I went straight to the seas, and lo and behold, they had a mint condition copy nice. of Key Lime Pie, uh, for nine dollars yeah and it was like that's that feeling that you get when you discover that gem that you've been looking for like what are the chances that they would have that record right you know they didn't make that many of that record that band wasn't that popular right but because you know i i will be jazzed about that for a year right. that i found that record and yeah. the fact that i got it for 8.99 is just icing on the cake i would have paid 30 bucks for that record i'm not going to tell them that yeah yeah exactly you know? uh but you know so what um what is your unicorn record you know, not necessarily for the store. Like if you were looking for your collection at home, by the way, how big is your collection at home? Uh, you know, it's fluctuated over the years because we've had to sell off parts of it to start each store. Um, you know, as the owners, that's the kind of sacrifice you have to make. Like I said, this is a labor of love. We don't have endless resources, so we got to do what we got to do to make it work. But I have probably... 1,500 to 2,000 LPs at home and somewhere in the realm of 500 singles probably. And that's decreased from about three times as much as that when we moved out to L.A. Yeah. Um, but that's up from seven years ago when we sold off literally everything but a box of about 20 LPs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So like I said, we sold, we between Liz and I, our collection was between three and 5,000 of CD and LP formats. And it was all sold off. To start the store. I mean, that's, you know, how we had to do it. And that's the risk we had to take. So, yeah, right now it's that. But I try to keep it now uh, because we've moved around so much in the last five years. We moved six times in seven years within Chicago because that's just kind of the nature of that city. Rents go up and, you know, neighbors change and situations get Neighborhoods weird. get too expensive to live in. That's one thing I ran into living, living in Chicago, too. Totally. And um, then we moved out to L.A. and the cross-country move, you know, 
that's huge, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, as far as the Holy Grail or something, my Holy Grail is different than somebody else's Holy Grail because to me, if it's something that I want uh, and I know I want it, I can get it. I know dozens of collectors that have, each of them have probably any great record that I might want if I'm willing to pay the price. And you can find stuff online and here and there. Um, but to me, the holy grail is stumbling across something like an acetate that's never been released before by a completely unknown artist that's completely mind-blowing in one way or another. Whether, whether it be free jazz or punk or psychedelic rock or whatever genre it is, if it's unlike anything I've ever heard, that's my holy grail. And if I find it, I'll know it, you know? That's because I'm around used records so much. There's no one particular record that, you know, I can think of records I want right now and I know where they exist. I'm just not willing to pay what they're worth right now. And I could, it's easy. But the holy grail for me is finding that thing that's going to blow my mind and that I could potentially do the research on and find the artist and tell them how much I appreciate it and find a way to reissue it so that the whole world can hear it, you know? And that's what it's all about for me as in my, my mind. That's my, that's the stuff I dream about, you know, not like a particular record because for me it, it may sound pompous, but I know where to get just about anything you could want, what anything I could want by name. So it's that mystery thing that I don't know exists yet, you know? If I were the guy who had found that, that Velvet Underground acetate on the city streets of New York for a quarter, that would have been the, the holy grail that I wouldn't have known I could have come across, you know? Something like that. But maybe not even necessarily a known artist. Like yeah. maybe somebody who recorded something in their basement, did a lathe cut, one copy, five copies, and then it disappeared forever and yeah until it gets dug up by somebody whether it be me or whoever you know yeah That's, very very nice yeah so let's listen to this is uh the band is afflicted man this is a british band how did you get hooked up with a british band running a record label where you are you're well, in the, la this is a, a reissue actually for i think this record was originally re released in 1980 or 81 i forget now but um <laughs> this is this was kind of a i guess if you could call it a holy grail not in the terms of uh, what I mentioned earlier, but a r artist that I had been looking for records by for a long time. I procured them very quickly because I know <laughs> how to get this kind of stuff now. Uh, so it immediately became not a holy grail and just something I own again, you know. But tracking the artist down was impossible. Everybody that I knew that knew about Afflicted Man uh, had no idea where this guy Steve Hall had disappeared to. He recorded uh, some things under the name Afflicted, changed the name to Afflicted Man, then became involved with this band called The Accursed, and then went to, um, he did a, a metal record actually under the name Metal Virgins, and then after that disappeared. Nobody knew what happened to him. The guys who had been following him this whole time were just dumbfounded. They had no idea. And finding a guy named Steve Hall on the internet pretty difficult you know so anyway there's blogs now of course where you can get all this stuff somebody had ripped the 
uh, complete recordings, double CD bootleg that came out a few years back, put it up on a blog, wrote a little thing about it, and there was a comment section below, so I just wrote, hey, my name's Lance, I have permanent records in Chicago only at the time, if you know how to get in touch with Steve Hall, please drop me a line, and I put my email address there in the comments section waiting to be scavenged by whatever internet rovers will sell my email address to whoever, you know. So literally six months ago, I get a random email from this guy who plays in a band with Steve now. And he's like, hey, I know Steve. You want me to give him your email address? And I was like, yes, please. E Steve emails me the same day. And I'm like, I love Afflicted Man. Um, have you ever considered reissuing these records? Do you own the rights to the recordings? You have the master, blah, 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 all that stuff. And we worked out a deal to reissue this record, um, which has been long out of print and pretty collectible for the last 34 years or so. Very nice. And you're yeah. bringing it back, bringing it to, I was going to say the masses, but bringing it to that <laughs> exclusive group of people who are in, people. Who are interested in this kind of thing. But that's just it. It's a cherished thing for people who want this kind of thing. I totally get it. Yeah. So this is, uh, the band is Afflicted Man. They're a British band. And the song is I'm Off Me Ed, So Are You, here on Independence Day.
This is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. That was Afflicted Man. That's a reissue on vinyl that's coming out this May or June. I'm off me, Ed, and so are you. It's a British band. Um, Lance Brisey and his record label and record store, Permanent Records, are putting that out pretty soon. So pretty exclusive, and you know where to find it. Come to Permanent Records and Eagle Rock. They're in Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, in Eagle Rock, in the Los Angeles neighborhood, uh, north side of Los Angeles. Also, you can go to their website, PermanentRecordsLA.com, and that will also take you to their Chicago store as well, where they share a little bit of stock. Um, it's been excellent talking to you about this man Um, keep up the good work I love what you're doing with this store Um, uh, there's a million records I'm going to talk to you about when we get off the phone here that I'm going to send you on a search for but I can find them on the internet too but you've got a line of this kind of stuff so um, what's you know what's the future here for permanent records you going to expand to more stores are you pretty well satisfied here in eagle rock i'm pretty satisfied here in eagle rock the whole move reason for the move across country was to just be in you know a better climate which la provides you know to the max so no i'm just looking to do things bigger and better within the parameters that we already have set up um you know keeping two shops running with like a minimal staff is uh more than one job in and of itself so yeah We'll keep doing things the way that we do it and keeping the quality control uh, at a uh, steady pace and and not try to get in over our heads too much. Like I said, it's a labor of love. Nobody's going to get rich doing this, and you can't do it from the back seat either. Yeah. As soon as you start doing that, you get into the same realm that a lot of stores that shut down when Napster came along were in, where it's just idle, you know? Clerking sales. Yeah, exactly. And it, this kind of business doesn't work that way anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, so, fortunately, I think. <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah. Uh, so come on down to uh, Permanent Records on Eagle Rock, right by the Trader Joe's on Record Store Day, which is April 20th of this year. It's always the third Saturday, I believe, in April. I think it's how they determine that. Yeah, this uh, year it's on 420. It's on 420 <laughs> this year, so you can double down on whatever you want to do, whatever that means to you. <laughs> uh, come on down to Permanent Records. They've got some great independent releases. They've got some great big releases coming out for this. This is a really big international event. Uh, they've got live bands all day, and they're opening at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. Pacific time. So if you want to queue up and get that that uh, that hot 12-inch you're looking for, this is a place to do it, man. So uh, thanks so very much to Lance Barisi and Liz Tooley from Permanent Records. Also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton, and always to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>